I just sent it again. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, and I'm hoping that everybody that I sent the wrong number to will, yeah, they got it. Okay. I, I don't know I how I did that. But I t- Hi, Vince. Vincent Zandria, is hey, that Chris. you? That's me, I, I know. I, my brain is Happy New Year. today. Let me. Happy New Year. I think everybody. Well, I'm waiting for Charles and for Dick because Miss Brilliant over here accidentally sent the wrong number for everybody to call in. That was just so smart. Um, this is going to be interesting. This I added sure. something with relationships because on Friday, January first, uh, my niece's song "Eat Your Heart Out" came out on YouTube and everywhere. And it's based on a relationship that went sour, thank God. And I'm hoping that it stays sour forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Hi, Dick. It's Fran, I think. Hi, Hi Fran. Either. Got the right one. Thank you. Now, now, that, now that I sent the right number, my brain is gone. Okay, <laughs> so, Vince, didn't you do this and scare the Jesus out of me? And John does it really well. So, you have relationships in books that deal with coworkers, people, we get involved. Um, you meet somebody, you hate them in five minutes like I used to when I was younger. It's very easy. But everybody has that one relationship that really sticks when you want to just like, oh, my God, why did that happen? How do you create, like, John, you created Court and Caitlin, and Vincent, you create relationships that scare the daylights out of me. And Dick and Charles have Dick has Claire, and Charles has Henry. So how do you create a relationship that starts throughout a novel and then goes moves forward? Seriously. What's this one for? Who wants to go first? You go ahead, because you're going to scare me anyway. All right, I'll go first. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's it's um. I'm sure the other guys do the same thing, but for me, I just sort of take like a normal everyday garden variety situation, you know, boy meets girl or it's a married couple. And um, like, I I think I said this before to you, friend, like, you know, um, you can be with somebody from 10 years for 10 years and truly not know them deep down inside. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got their dark passages and everybody's got their lighter passages or whatever. But um, so I, I just sort of create this normal situation for a while until something really weird happens and um, maybe the narrator is thinking, well, I'll just let it go. You know, I'll let the situation go. You know, maybe somebody finds, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but maybe he finds mm-hmm. a dead cat in the house or something. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. um, it just sort of comes out like that. Like, like Norma Mailer said, it's the spooky art, you know, so like it just sort of comes out like that. Um, and then you go from there and then like little by little by little by little, you start uncovering these secrets and these these really 
uh, scary things about the person you thought you knew and loved and trusted all these years, and really they're not the person you thought they were at all. Your stories, I just have to keep the lights on every time I read it. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's hey, the way hey, it is in real life, too. Hey, hey Fran, I'm uh, I'm here. I know. Now that I sent the right number, don't ask. My mind is gone. <laughs> we're talking is about relations. Yeah, I think oh, she don't was, ask. I think she was um, testing us. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I spent the night um, someplace else, I won't say where, getting a shot in the butt to make me feel better. Oh. And yes, it was very painful, but it hasn't helped. But we're not we're not as bad as we were before, and this takes my mind off whatever. So we're talking about how do you set up um, Claire and her relationships because she doesn't get along with anybody at times. And then there's some people that well, get along with well, all the time. Well, I mean, yeah, th- 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 well, that's a little though. bit of an exaggeration. I know what you're saying, Fran. Uh, yeah, um, well, I've I've always been, you know, very forthcoming about my character, Claire Carlson, the TV executive uh, who's a journalist, in the sense that I've uh, basically have drawn upon, you know, so many interesting women and and men too um, that I've met in the media to kind of create this character, and uh, she's, uh, you know, I've thought about this a lot with a, a, a couple other characters too. She's she's kind of she's the kind of person I that I like to think says all the things that you know we all would like. To to say, but we don't have the courage to do it. I, I, I did an interview with uh, Ace Atkins recently, and he was talking about Spencer, and he said the same thing about Spencer. He says, Spencer says the things we all think about we wish we would have said, you know, after we've had an encounter with somebody. So uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's a lot of fun being able to create a character who says what she wants, uh, uh, you know, can annoy people. Um, but you got, but I mean, the other part of that is you, you, there's got to be a likability factor too, because you can't just you can't just have somebody who's just, you know, annoying all the time. It's like you kind of got to like them, but also find them, uh, you know, interesting uh, at the same time. And that's, the, you know, that's a balance that I'm constantly working on, and I think most most authors, you know, have to do with their character. Unfortunately, we, we we got a president who um who, who did very much what he said, <laughs> except except the likability part. Um, but I, I would agree with both. This is Charles. I, I would agree with both these guys. And I think for me, the key is um, uh, you know what? I hate it when editors or agents um get back to you or or at least me, and they'll say I, I didn't like that character. And and my answer is I don't care if you like the character or not. Right. I just care if you found the character was interesting. So you right. know, I mean, likability doesn't go very far for me. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't care about that. Uh, you know, I just want, I want the reader to, to, to want to know more about the character, or, or even if it's a character like I, I've written, uh, Francis Hoyt, who you don't like, and you want to see. Part of you wants to see him fail, but part of you actually wants to see him uh, succeed. So I, I think that's the key, and, and both these guys have, have kind of said that too, um, you know. And I'm, I, I think that's true to a certain extent about saying the things that people think and don't say. But I think that there's there's a danger to that too, and your character kind of has to know that that danger, uh, you know, when to hold back and and when to to say exactly what's on your mind. Hey, friend. This, this is John Land. Um, I'd say when you first asked that question, the first thing that came to mind was the great quote from William Faulkner talking about conflict when he said, the greatest conflict is the human heart at war with itself. Um, And I think what I take from that 
are two things as far as relationships go. Relationships are not defined by the smooth moments. Relationships are defined by the rocky moments. They're defined <clears throat> by the conflict between characters because that's what drives story. Two, two people who love each other unconditionally and don't disagree is a recipe for boredom if you're writing a book. Mm -hmm. So relationships should be based on things that, especially in a series, you mentioned Court Wesley Masters and Caitlin Strong in my series. Well, they've been together for 11 books now. So mm -hmm. keeping a relationship fresh is the very definition of keeping a series fresh. So it's important in, in two books ago, Court Wesley disguised the fact that he had suffered a mini stroke. Um, and Caitlin realizes something's wrong with him, something's wrong with him, but he won't admit it, and this frustrates her. And that becomes mm -hmm. how that relationship is defined for that book. In my most recent Caitlin Strong book, Strong from the Heart, the relationship is defined by the fact that, Kate, that Court Wesley realizes that Caitlin has, a dependent, has developed a dependence on Vicodin. The book is about the opioid crisis, and he realizes that she is becoming a victim of the scourge that she's fighting. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have moments like that, especially in a continuing relationship, um, the other thing I'd add is when you're doing a series, the best way I think to keep it fresh and to keep it to feel like it's always the first book in the series, which is what, the way any series should feel, um, so re readers don't feel left out if they've never read any of the others. One of the great ways to keep a series fresh is to introduce new characters and new relationships. Mm -hmm. Once again, I did this two books ago when I introduced Caitlin's half-sister, um, Nola Delgado, who's a mm -hmm. cold-blooded killer. But she's, a cold, but she's Caitlin's cold-blooded killer. And she's Caitlin's blood, whether Caitlin wants to admit it or not. Here's the point I want to get at. Relationships are at their best when they reveal traits about the dominant characters, the, the heroes. I mean, Nola Delgado is who Nola Delgado is. She's not going to change. But Caitlin's, it, it's how her relationship with Caitlin affects and changes Caitlin that helps drive these last two books in which she's appeared um, it, it, it's helped drive these last few books and given them a fresh injection of energy. Um, and I, and you know, and because the relationships, in that sense, because they're related anyway, are organic. And I think that's crucial. But but more than anything, I think a relationship is defined by its conflict. And the more you're able mm -hmm. to define the conflict in a way that readers are able to relate to, the more successful that relationship will become. Well, Vince, Vince you, your, your relationships create fear. Seriously. Yeah. Um, I, no, I, I read Paradox Lake. Oh, my God. You're the first um, one to read yeah. it. Ah. I, I read it in two hours, and I was petrified, and I had to keep the lights on afterwards. And then I had to promise <laughs> to hide the book afterwards. It's in front of me, by the way. And, John, right. I read The Metro Murders, too. Um, so... I, how do you how do you create fear in a relationship that you wonder shouldn't these characters do something about it because you do it so well and scare me every and the caretaker's wife oh my god that was really scary yeah actually you know it's funny I I told another writer friend of mine um, I actually wrote the caretaker's wife um, I'm not going to mention who the publisher is but um, 
they called me and they're like, um, you owe us another book. And I, and I was like, I owe you another book. What are you talking about? I thought my contract was up. And I was happy that it was up. And they're like, no, I, I need a pitch right now because, you know, like, I don't know, like one of the festivals was starting. So I gave him this pitch. He's like, great, go ahead. And so I, I purposely wrote the scariest, nastiest, most misogynistic book I, per- I, I could possibly write, thinking that they'd come back to me and say, like, we – and this kind of goes back to what Charlie was saying, like um, editors are different these days because it's a new generation. And the editors 20 years ago might have actually liked some of these characters that I put out now, whereas the newer generation might be more like, well, this person I don't like, you know, for whatever reason. Anyway, to make a long story short, Fran, and, and I think I've told you this before, I thought for sure the editors would come back and say, like, we can't possibly publish this book. And I would That's be free, so right? And they're like, wow, we love it. We absolutely love it. I was like, ah, oh, I don't know. You know, anyway. <laughs> um, but just to, just, to, just to go back to what I was saying, um, the books friends referring to you guys, for me, are my standalones. But I totally agree with John saying about, like, um, keeping characters consistent in series and then bringing in new characters to keep things fresh and, and all that sort of stuff and to sort of challenge the relationships people have and all that sort of stuff. But with my standalone, you know, like, again, I'll go back to, like I said before, it's, it's take these normal people going into a really normal situation who, and, and in the case of Paradox Lake, which doesn't come out till May. Oh, um, I love that book. You have you, you have a mother and a daughter. The mother is taking a sabbatical. She's an art teacher, and she's mm-hmm. taking a sabbatical, and she wants to spend time with her daughter alone because she has lost a previous daughter, and she lost her husband. She is, so they go up to an idyllic place, Paradox Lake, and she meets these great people, but the great people are not as great as she thinks. And you, I, know, I, know, I know what you're saying. Like, Why don't they just hop on their horses and get the hell out of there, right? Get, get the hell out of Dodge, but you don't. And in real life, you wouldn't either because how often do you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear that bump in the night and you're like, well, it's just a bump in the night, even though it was, was sort of a little loud and weird. But, you yeah, know, but you she just got sort of blindsided. She got blindsided. And then she the, because she hung in there too long. I know. And I kept yeah. telling her to leave, but she didn't want to listen. Poor thing. <laughs> no, but she don't want to, you don't want to listen to yourself, you know. What can I say? But there, there's, a, there's, I have a whole list of things here in my brain, which, which is not working too well, but we're trying. Um, so some of the characters, like Charles said, you don't care if somebody likes the character or not. But that's good. If somebody hates the character, it means you got your point across. I mean, I have characters. I said I don't like this person, which means that you got your point across. There are enemies and conflict and competition. I would hate to see what would happen. If in John's novel, Nola decided to go after Court, and of course I'm going to vote for Catelyn Kitlin to win. So how, how do you deal with enemies and families and competition and stuff like that? Because co- conflict is so cool, but you can't. I, I just want to I just want to jump in and say one thing, Frank. Go I ahead. Still, um, I still disagree a bit with what you said. Um, I get, you know, and again, I, I, this idea that oh, it doesn't matter if anybody likes anybody. You know, you know, just, they just catch their attention or whatever. And I really don't, I don't think it's that simple. I mean, I, 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 I'm like a fan mm-hmm. of things like Gone Girl, which I thought was a great book, and those are two unlikable characters. 
But there's still got to like be something. <laughs> well, but I loved it, and the rest of the world loved it, you know. But the point is, I I think, and you can, you know, the one classic example, uh, the one person I always think of as an interesting character, and you don't, you don't, I mean, he is scary, but you think of him more likable, is uh, Tony Soprano. I mean, Tony Soprano mm-hmm. was basically a likable, you know, you kind of liked Tony Soprano, except he was a horrible human being. He killed mm-hmm. people, he did all these things. Yeah. And, and, yep. and, I mean, you can even go to, like, a Hannibal Lecter. I mean, you know, it's like there's something about him that you don't. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all horrible, but there's there's got to be something that you actually care about the character on some level, even if it's uh, mm-hmm. even if it's not quite likability. Um, and you know, for me as a writer and also as a reader, when I pick up a book. Um, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for in a character. And, I mean, going back to – I've read Charles's book, uh, Second Story Man, and, yeah, like, he's got a fascinating character who's a criminal, but there's also something about him that still appeals to you no matter how horrible he is. Um, and, uh, and, and I think if you just – if you ignore that, I, I just don't think you can have a successful book. I mean, and anyway, that's what I shoot for when I'm, when I'm writing. You know, you know, Dick, it's funny you should mention that. I'm working on um, a sequel now, kind of a sequel. Oh, and yay, with finally. Francis Hoyt, with, with Francis Hoyt. And um, I got into a little writing group. There's just five of us. There are four women. And it's really, for me, just a contact in the – although they're really good writers and really good critics. And the other night I got – and it goes to exactly what you're saying uh, and, and you would know because of Hoyt. And, and I never quite put my finger on it. But but a couple of the one of the women said, you know, I really there's, there's something I really like about Francis Hoyt, mm-hmm. and she said, you know what it is? She's smart, yeah. and I never I never thought of that. But that's that one thing that you're talking yeah. about. These two and the other women all agreed, and yeah. he's not a likable character. But and uh, but I just wanted to add something really that that, that John w- was saying because I totally agree, and. Here's the thing. When you write a series, I think, and I've, John said he has 11. I, I, only, I stopped at five with Swan. But I guarantee you that his readers will not be able to um, tell you the plots of, of the books. They won't be able to distinguish them, but they will tell you all about the character. Right. And that's what brings them back. It's not the plot. It's almost always the character. And I think... The, you know, I don't understand why he's so popular, but Lee Child is that they, they love that Reacher character. I mean, with all the books he's written in that, I, I, I would dare anyone to distinguish the plots because they're all the same, really. But they love the character. He's right. You're right. And then you know what happens when the plots are all the same? I don't read it that often. That's why you guys keep me interested. That's why I don't put your books down. That's why I get eye strain after I read your books. Seriously. Thanks, I, I, I do. <laughs> so, um, next question. How, what about the setting? How do you know where to put your character in order to create this relationship? Because they're all different. I mean, Vince, you know, you, I never know where you're going to go put anybody anywhere. And, John, I mean, you're different every single time. Everybody is. And I'm so happy that you're writing a sequel to something, Charles, because it's been a while, and I think you should bring Henry back. That's just my opinion. Sorry. So how do you create a setting as to where you're going to put this person to have their relationship or to, or to keep people wondering where are they going to go next? Um, Do you mean this for me? 
Oh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. In any way. Do you mean a physical setting, uh, Fran? I mean a physical setting like a place or location? Yeah, Is place, that what you're anything, anything, yeah. anything well, that you my, want. Anything that's well, yeah, for me, and, you know, you've read most of my books, um, it's pretty All easy because I tend to, I tend to, uh, and part of this, I guess, may be laziness, but I just tend to write about things I know. So I live in New York mm-hmm. City, and I write everything pretty much set in New York City. Um, and uh, um, uh, and I worked in TV newsrooms and, new, and newspaper newsrooms, and I pretty much set all my characters um, in newsrooms. So, you know, it's pretty easy. And, and when I do have to go out of the city, and uh, uh, I think Charles and I may have talked about this at various conferences, uh, I, like if I go to, uh, to Dallas for VoucherCon and I have to have my character go somewhere, well, then I'll have him go to Dallas because I've been there and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm familiar with the setting and I'll probably have her go places that I was. Um, so I, I really draw upon my own, uh, my own uh, background. I'm actually writing a, I'm actually writing a book now. Now, uh, a, 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 a different book right now that uh, is set on Martha's Vineyard, and that may seem ambitious, except for the fact that I vacation on Martha's Vineyard every year. So, um, yeah, so for me, there's no great uh, mystery in how I figure out the setting. I just kind of go with the things that uh, that I'm familiar with. Hey, Fran, this is John Lance. Um, it's I, I think it, it, I agree with everything um, that was just said, but I also feel – um, when I'm choosing a setting, it's more like choosing something, a setting within a setting. Um, in another mm. Caitlin Strong book I did, I chose to, climb, to, to finish the book to set the climax in Houston because Houston has 20, uh, about 20 linear miles of, an under, of underground passageways beneath the city. It's kind of a walking mall where you could literally walk under the city. And I didn't know that until I actually researched it and said, oh, my God. So I learned something new, which then became something that my readers were learning for the first time, unless probably they lived in Houston. Now that I'm writing um, the Capital Crime series, which is a political a series of political thrillers set in Washington, the setting is much more important because people have expectations that you know what you're talking about. You can't make stuff up because it's a very committed audience, and they know Washington as well, and they want you to know Washington as well as they do. But again, when I did, um, when I did the first one in the series, Murder on the Metro, I found out that before the Metro was built, Washington had a trolley system, and there is still portions of yep. the underground sections of that trolley system that are underneath Washington that you can, if you really know, you can get to them, um, but they're closed. And I love setting scenes in places that people don't know about, something people haven't seen before, um, something in Washington. So what I basically did uh, when, I st- when I started the book was I Googled places in Washington people don't know about, something like that. I probably Googled it three or four different ways, and I found things like that I didn't know about um, settings that were very, that I found very unique and very visual. The Georgetown river steps would be an example of a simple one because we're all action writers. We're all thriller writers. Uh, I should say thriller mystery writers, not action necessarily, but the visuals in our books are as important at times as visuals are in movies. So it's very important to me 
and, and I guess with setting, the best advice I ever got or ever heard was from James Lee Burke, which was when setting a scene, always know where the light is coming from. Because that will tell you what your character sees, what is before the POV of the character who is driving, who is narrating that scene through their POV. Not necessarily I, it's a third person, but it's still limited. It's, it's limited third person. They can only see. Uh, so the, my readers only see what my characters see. And I, if when I remember that trick about remembering where the light is coming from, then, if I'm on the Georgetown River steps, is the sunlight in the character's eyes or is it on the back of his or her neck? What are they feeling mm. because of the sun? So it's, it's not just the setting. It's how you ingratiate your characters into the setting. Robert Ludlum once gave an interview years and years and years and years ago, obviously, where he said the only reason to describe a tree is if there's a sniper in that tree. So mm. everything in mystery thrillers, when you're describing that, it, it's not, if you're describing something, it usually or often will come back because there's something important that you've chosen about that setting that's not just cool, it's going to further your story, where someone is watching another character from. Um, setting is probably the thing I'm weakest at as a writer. Uh, dialogue and, and narrative being the two strongest things. Um, so setting is something I continually work on because I get lazy. And sometimes the ability to find new and exciting settings is just as important for me as the first person who reads what I write as it is for the next five or six people who read what I write. Sometimes I get lucky and it's 11 or 12. Uh, but it's really about exciting yourself about setting it in a place and sometimes making it up. I've never been to a robotic factory. I don't know what they look like, but I love setting scenes in places like that, imagining what they might be like and imagining, you know, what, what a scene set in a place like that would be like. Yeah, but you do it in your prologue too. You change different places and different, different beginnings. And different settings when you do the prologue. Because I never know what you're going to do and who you're going to bring back. So that's exciting, too. Seriously. And sometimes those prologues are set in the past. I know. Which is a whole other challenge as far as setting. Because now you're, setting, you're, you're using a setting that may not exist anymore. Or is not as recognizable nearly as it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, you're not going to believe the setting of my next book, that if I ever sit down and have the energy to write it, it's called The World Without People. And I created eight worlds that are kind of weird, seriously, and eight settings, including one in people living in a polar region, people living in a, in a desert, and people living without the sun. And that's all I'll say about that. Those are my settings. And I have to decide what to do with that. So how do you, how do you I mean, you, just, you brought up a, a something, uh, John, about weather. Sometimes you have a storm, sometimes you have a hurricane. How does that play into, the, into what happens to the characters sometimes when they get stuck and they can't go anywhere and they're, and they're, lost, and they're sort of ca- held captive, wherever they are? How does that, how does that play into it? Well, it adds to the tension. This is I mean, for me, it adds to the tension. I mean, um, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe maybe it's a little cliche, but like there's nothing like a dark and stormy night. 
for a throw. <laughs> you know, you know, you just can't, you just can't beat it. Um, you know, and the problem is, you know, like when you're writing, and I'm sure all you guys are, it's funny because you're, you know, you'll maybe do five pages one day, five pages the next day, or whatever, that's pretty much what I do, but, um, and then you'll be like, holy crap, it was supposed to be raining, you know, like it was supposed to be storming, and I've totally forgotten the past, for the past five, five pages or whatever, because you're so into what's happening and with the dialogue and all that sort of stuff, but, um, I think the weather plays a big part. I think, like, uh, yeah. just like, um, just like uh, John was saying about always, you know, and, uh, wherever, the, you know, always tell, tell the reader where the light's coming from or whatever. I think it was Hemingway who said, uh, always get the weather in first. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, which which is true. Um, and uh, so, you know, like, uh, there's, there's nothing, you know, like if, if you're being chased or something like that, your character's being chased, the character you love so much, um, it's just so much better if it's storming or something like that and rather than, well, thank God it's really nice out. And, you know, uh, it just adds to the tension. Well, I, yeah, would, I would just like to add one little quick footnote on the weather thing, because I, as you're talking, I suddenly realized um, when I'm writing weather, and I'm not sure, maybe I'm the only person that does this, but I, I write the weather. I tend to do the weather of what it is while I'm writing the book. In other words, if it's the middle of the summer, I tend to set my book in the summertime. If it's uh, it's my next book comes out at Christmas time, but I was writing it over the winter. And I don't do that, but it just it seems more natural because for me, I don't know, it's like hard to write about a sweltering 98-degree day when it's, uh, you know, when we're sitting here in January. So uh, uh, I don't know that I even realized that until you were just talking, and I'm like, wow, I tend to write the weather as it is outside while I'm actually writing. You know, I just thought of this for, for me is that um, what, the, what John and Vince were saying, the, the, the most important thing about weather for me is um, clothing, what, what people yeah. are wearing. So I have to remind myself if, if I'm setting it in the winter. And, and actually, I, 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 um, when I'm writing these things, I usually don't think of the, the, the time of year until I'm into the book a little bit. But if I'm writing it and it takes place in summer, someone's not going to be wearing an overcoat, so they're not going to be taking something out of, or a leather jacket or something. So it's really it's important. But I just wanted to real quick get back to what um, to, to location a little bit because I, I'm sort of going to uh, contradict myself. First of all, I'm really glad that, that John took that, that action part out about about the writers because I have very little I, You know, I like to sit around, so I don't, I don't have a lot of – my books don't have a lot of action in it. But – I love when I'm reading Dick's books. I know when he's setting it in a newsroom or whatever that he's got it right, you know, and and that that makes me feel good because if I if I suspect something is wrong when I'm reading something that someone got something wrong, it ruins the whole book for me. But ironically, I write better about places I haven't been than places I've been. So I have a lot of books that are set in New York, but I hate writing about New York. So I've actually written better about places I've either never been or, like Dick, when he mentioned Dallas, because we were there together, um, the, I can write about Dallas because I don't have too much information about that, that That's interesting. So what would happen if you ever asked one of your characters where they would like to have their story take place? Would they tell you? Would they have an opinion? 
Let's say Claire didn't want to have it in the newsroom. She wanted to go somewhere else. Or Caitlin decided she wanted to go to a foreign country. I don't think she was. Or Vince decided that he was going to allow some terrible thing happen to somebody in a deserted cabin or something. Or Charles decided he was going to bring Henry back to make me laugh. What what would what happen if the character decided the next setting in in the story or the next um, relationship that they want to have? Maybe Caitlin wants to branch out because she's Nola's going to you know dunk it in court. She but she better not. She just better not. What would happen if the character decided the setting? Where do you think they would pick that they would want to be? Seriously. Well, I don't have that kind of. Re- I, I, that, I'm thinking about that question, Brad. I I don't know that I have that kind of uh, relationship with the character where the character is speaking to me. I kind of. I am the character, and I tell the character what to do, kind of. So, anyway, it's. I, yeah, I've never really thought about that. <laughs> It's just a question that came popped into my brain for some reason. I have no idea. I'm why. waiting for one of Dick's or Vince's or John's characters to call me up and tell me where to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so it's possible your agent or your editor could say, you know what, you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to, you know, this story is going to be upstate or something like that, you know. Um, right. But no, I, I, I agree with the guys. Like, you know, we're God. You know, we we tell the characters what to do. The only thing I could think of is. If you're talking about switching things up in a single novel, uh-huh. is um, you know like I'm, I'm I'm a little bit a lot of authors don't like to do it, but I'm a sucker for like um, uh, for dream sequ- dream sequences, very short ones. Um, but suddenly, like my character is doing something somewhere, and then he wakes up and he's in he's in bed in a house like that he used to live in with his ex-wife, and he does and 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 it's such a vivid real dream that he's like. Oh my God! Like what happened? You know, I'm back with my wife and daughter, and this sort of thing. So like, you you know, you can make little surprises like that. You know, sudden scene changes, but it's not real. It's just imagined. Hmm, that's interesting. So when you promote something like this, the types of plots that are more popular. Like, how do you promote a novel that uh, with with, a, with an unusual title? How do you promote your novel so that people want to read them? Because they're all different. You know, I've read too many books, and sometimes I get, like yesterday I got an email from somebody that said, we would like you to send a copy of your book, this book, and I said, it's going to take me a while because I have a lot of books. Well, the book was mailed already. They didn't even wait to see if I wanted to read it, which I really didn't, because when I looked at what it was about, I go, oh, my God, why me? <laughs> I, this, is, this has been happening a lot. I mean, I, just, I won't say what company. I just read a book of scary, scary, the scariest short stories, and I wrote a book review that, it's probably like 800 words, and then I just gave it to my husband. He loves it. I really didn't like it at all. But I'm not going to say that. I just wrote a general whatever. So how do you promote a book and make people want to read it? And what happens if you read it yourself and you say to yourself, I'm going to write it over, which I do a lot? Well, once it's published, it's published, you know, but, you know. Did you ever read something that you wrote or a plot or a scene or something and say to yourself, I'm going to have to write that over because I don't like, I don't, it doesn't fit, or I'm going to do it over? Oh, sure, a scene or a, or a pages. I think we've all done that. But, uh, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, it's a process, obviously, friend. So 
as you're going mm-hmm. along, you find stuff, you read something, you say, well, that doesn't work, or I don't like that. I'm sure we've all been in that situation. And you change it, or somebody along the way tells you, uh, you know, but uh, by the time the book is finished, you generally have a pretty good, I, I generally have a pretty good feel of how I feel about it. And, you know, <laughs> I, I always like right. my books. I don't know if anybody else does, but I do with them finished, so. Well, I like every whatever you guys write, so you know I'm going to read it in five minutes. That's why we love you, friend. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to love me because lately I haven't been loved by very many people. Seriously. So Vince, this is this one's for you. Yeah. Seriously. Do you do you have audio books? Do your books come yeah, in audio? Everything's in audio. And just how scary just how scary are they when people listen to them? Because I couldn't listen to an audio book. It gets me too nervous. I have to be honest, I, I have probably about 50 books in audio right now. I have never listened to a single one of them, and nor <laughs> have I listened ever, nor have I ever listened to an audio book. Um, I, I've listened to samples of my audio books, but um, I cringe when I hear the opening paragraphs. I'm like, it just is mm-hmm. like, I don't want to hear anymore, because I'm afraid, it's like hearing your own voice, you know? Um Mm-hmm. I, I just it, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like hearing it, and I'm like, ah, oh, I would have maybe done that. It goes back to what you were saying before. You know, maybe you would change things or whatever. But um, I remember doing a reading at Noir at the Bar, and uh, in uh, at the at, in New York City uh, a couple of years ago, and I read. I think I was reading from Orchard Grove, and and I read one sentence. And it was a packed house, and. And I was like, I just like cringed. It was like playing the piano and hitting the wrong note at, you know, like mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden or something like that. And I'm like, ah, why, how did I let that go? You know what I mean? Um, so I don't, I, you know, I don't listen to any of my audio books, but they're all out in audio. And, and I've had, actually, I don't know about you guys, but this year I had a really great sales with audio. You know, and I, was, I, I, I attribute that to the COVID thing. Really? I hope no one's going to write a book with COVID in it. I can't handle it anymore. I really can't. I feel like I'm locked in a cage sometimes, and I haven't gone anywhere ever. And speaking of that, um, Friday, Thursday, I'm doing a very unusual show. I won't even make a comment about the book. It's called Jesus, the Rabbi of Nazareth. That's all I'll say about that. On Monday, I have Cindy McDonald back to the burg. And on Wednesday, I have uh, Blood Country. And on Thursday, someone we all know and love, Dennis Palumbo, will be here with, we're going to talk about fear, isolation, uh, stress, and anxiety. And the reason why we're doing it again is because we had technical difficulties that day. My sound went out because of the um, storm. So that was, that was interesting. So that that should be very interesting next week. But I hope you guys are not going to write something with a novel with the, that based on the can, pandemic because I can't handle it anymore, really. <laughs> and too many people, and I'm getting too, I just read one about that. So how do you build an audience that's going to say, I want Dick Belsky's next book, I want, well, Vince, Vince, what's next anyway? What am, what's going to scare me after Paradox Lake? And I didn't get the Chase book, by the way, just, just a hint. Uh, I hope you have an answer that I can use. Well, um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know what's after uh, Paradox Lake. Uh, my agent, Chip, and I um, have discussed a, a story plot um, 
that I can't talk about really, and I think I'm going to tackle that next. Um, but uh, it's intended to be a crime series that he wants to try to sell to Netflix or something like that. So that's that's. But I have I, I'm I have like right now I think eight novels in the hopper ready to be edited in the whole oh, bit. God. So like I'm I'm good till like 2025 or something. Yeah. Wow. Are you are you Vincent? Are, are you writing one right now while we're at this moment? While are you typing? Uh huh. He's doing it now. Yeah. Uh, although you know, I do lie a little bit because I'm I'm literally finishing that big book, American Crimes. It's my first like 500 page novel. Um, I'm just about it's like just about ready to hand it into my agent, and uh, so that that'll be like 2023 probably something like that. But it's the biggest biggest novel I've ever written. Can I tell a quick story about, um, uh, about that, that involves Vince and me? Is, is Vince and I now have the same agent, um, right. and he's he's sending around a book that I and um, I, I actually contacted Vince when I was um, when this, this agent read my um, book and, and wanted to sign me, and I, I just wanted to find out what. Anyway, he did something that in all my years, and I've had many agents because not because I'm tough to to sell, but the other, the, when I was doing just nonfiction, agents would call me up with, with jobs to do. And this is the first time ever. He writes me an email and he says, Charles, we should have a conversation. Uh, how are you next week? And the first thing I thought, because every writer thinks that, oh, he's dropping me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, blah, blah, blah. So, so I made a, a date to talk to him and he calls and I was nervous before and he just called to apologize for how slow things are now because of COVID, that he's you know right. never had that before. I mean, you know, usually you have a tough time getting agents to answer your emails uh, anyway. But here's someone who actually reached out because he wanted to let me know why things were slow. So thanks, uh, Vince, because um, well, my you know, pleasure, Charlie. And I'm honored when you talk to me about this. You know, I mean, because you know, I have great respect for your work, but. But yeah, things are slow, and and yeah, Charles and my agent—he's the type of guy that'll text you and just be like, "Hey, what's up? How's it going? Everything good?" You know. Um, whereas and that's unusual. That's very unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And it used to be like you just don't call your agent. You don't call them. You know, like that—that's like a bad client. Not you know, but it's different now. Well, the other thing I'm finding that I'm having trouble with is that. In the last month and a half, I got very popular. And a lot of people asked me to read their books. But for some reason, I'm not getting them. The post office isn't delivering, so I'm not getting the physical copies. Yeah. It makes it really bad when somebody emails me and says, did you read it? I go, huh? No, I did not. And I don't know if you're having that problem, too, that some of the publishers, the, the um, warehouses are holding them back for some reason. Either that or the post office is not bringing them. Yeah, Fran, I think, you know, we we talked about this, I think, on a previous show, and uh, and I've run into this uh, a lot, not just with my books, but with other people's books that I've been trying to read. I'm not sure it, I I mean, may some of it be the post office, but I think a lot of it is just uh, with publishers, and I I, I told the story last time, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a brand new Spencer book coming out in January from Ace Atkins. So, of course, when I interviewed him, I wanted to get the, the book. And uh, they're like, well, no, we're not doing we're not doing arcs. We're not doing any hardcover arc. It's all electronic. 
Um, I had the same thing uh, 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 recently with another uh, big author. And, and these are big publishing houses, too. Uh, I just think a lot of places are, you know, because bookstores are closed, because there's all these, you know, the COVID issues, um, it's it's just really become focused much more on uh, on ebooks and net you know in advanced copies are coming through uh, NetGalley and, and places like that. Um, right now, whether or not that continues once hopefully COVID you know we get back to something normal, but I but I do think and uh, I think Vince or somebody mentioned the thing about the surge in audiobooks and clearly I mean it's a great time for people to read listen to audiobooks or read ebooks. Not a great time for people to buy books, which is unfortunate. But 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 I really think I really think that's part of the big fallout of COVID. Right. Also, wow. guys, just to, just to interject quickly, I heard that two of the major printers went out of business. Yeah. That uh, you know, whether it's true or not, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I definitely read it, and that that that's that's a real setback. Uh, Frank, can I give a real quick answer to the earlier Go question ahead. about about you know do I do you ever like hate a book and then just put it and rewrite the whole thing? Years ago, I, I came up with an idea for an essay for the New York Times Book Review on how writers feel when they finish a book, and it allowed me it gave me time and it allowed me to call up all these authors that I really admired uh, and ask. And I called up um, William Gass, who wrote a book called The Heart of the Heart of the Country, and a wonderful writer. And he told me this story, which was amazing. He wrote a book, and this was a professor, and this was bureaucracy and things like that. So if you, had a, if you wanted a copy, you had a carbon in it. And he hadn't carbon. He finished the entire book. He did mm. his office. And one day he comes in, he opens the drawer, and it's not... Someone had stolen the manuscript. So he told me that he had to rewrite the entire book kind of from memory. And he told me that. But mm. that's kind of a nightmare. Oh, my God. That's scary. He found out who stole it and, and what happened to it, too. His, um, a, a teaching assistant stole it. And someone called him up and said, you know, I think there's part of your book in this literary magazine, but it's in the form of a play. And that's what the guy did. Yeah. That that is scary. So when you you decide what to write, this is the hardest thing for me ever. Like I said, my next book is going to have no people in it. It's just going to be what happens as a result of what's happening in the world to show people what happens when you live in a world that's like a polar region desert however I decided to do it and then I'm going to have one person be reincarnated and tell everybody how it is to live in those worlds and maybe when I get done everybody will stop acting like idiots in this one and start listening to what they're supposed to do and if anybody wants to read it after I get it done that would help too because I have no idea where this is going so the other thing that's easy about all of your books is that they're not 900 pages like the one I just finished how do you know what when to stop writing the book, book length? Because when I get a book like 600, 700 pages, I, I just don't want to care. I don't care. And then when the print is small, it's even worse. And the print on all of your books are large, so I don't have to say, do I need 17 magnifying glasses? I'm serious. I mean, I just finished one that's 600 pages, and I just finished one. Uh, Charles, by the way, I finished um, The Mirrored Palace. 
mm-hmm. by David Rich. Mm-hmm. And he's coming on March 8th, and he loves me because I sent him questions that no one would ever think to ask, he said. <laughs> so okay. hopefully, what can I say? Well, you know, Fran, there's a real easy answer for me to that question of how long to write the books. Because in most cases, um, if you're not writing the book from scratch or on spec, you're writing it for a publisher. I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. telling you how long they want it. I mean, my books my books mm-hmm. run between seventy five and ninety thousand words. I think some anywhere in that mm-hmm. area I can do. If I turned in a book for with one hundred and twenty thousand words. They would need me to cut it back, um, and and obviously if it was too little, although that's generally never a problem. Um, I mean, different books. I mean, yes, you can read a Stephen King book that's 800 pages, or you could read a very quick book that's 200 pages. Uh, like my, most of my books, I think are like I don't know 300 to 350. But again, th- that's mm-hmm. often decided by the publisher. Um, like my Claire Carlson series, those books are written to a specific uh, length. Um, so it, it's not like. It's not like I have to sit and think, oh, well, I write 800 pages of this. I mean, I start out with a goal, and that's and that's and that's what I'm writing. That, that I I know I you know, but you know, do you um, outline or do you just write? Because me, I've I never, just write I've never, out, never, out, never ne- yeah, never outlined in my life. No. That's what makes it interesting, but I just send my book to my publisher and I say, grammar, spelling, content, leave me alone, just fix it. Sometimes she gets it right and sometimes she gets it wrong. I, I can't be bothered with, with that. I mean, I'm a writing expert. I'm a reading and writing craft developer, but don't ask me to do grammar. It's too much. And, and everybody's been complaining because I don't do dialogue. I can't be bothered with the quotation marks and stuff like that. So how do, how do you, you know, how long does it take before a book is published? And how do you get somebody to actually look at it and say, I want you? I mean, I've gotten like 30 books in the last month and a half, whatever, when they show up. And these are all brand new authors, and some of them are really good, and some of them are, oh, my God, I need root canal work. Seriously. <laughs> no, seriously. This, my, Jeff is reading um, the stories, um, the short story book, and he loves it. And me, I hated it, but I wouldn't say that because, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody that I hate anything. Well, maybe. And I, I just I just don't know. So I, I – and – um. This COVID thing has gotten to me because, like I said, um, I was on my last show in December, the beginning of the month, and I got a text message from my um, hairdresser that I have COVID. Needless to say, the expletives that came out of my mouth that day on the show. Seriously. So I hope that, that you know, no one's going to really get into it. But if you're going to get into it, you're going to figure out a way to make it go away and cure it. Seriously. But... Before we end, we have a few more minutes. Um, do you ever do books, book things on Zoom? And how do you do that? And can you save the link? Because this week, well, Thursday, uh, my family's doing family Zoom because they forgot who I am and what I look like. And personally, I don't care. I mean, I would just—I I sort of sit on the. I, I seriously sit on the side, and when I get on, I wear a mask so they can't see me. Because I don't want them to tell me I look horrible. And they will look so, they're much older than me, so that makes me feel even better. But still, it doesn't matter. We do well, it because my, cousin, my cousin's in an assisted living and he can't come home ever. So we do it to cheer him up, and then sometimes it actually cheers me up. So do you ever do Zoom? And how do you do I think, that? I think I speak. I think I probably speak for all of us. I know with Charles. I mean, we do. A, I mean, certainly been doing a lot. I didn't even know what Zoom was before this spring, but now uh, mm-hmm. uh, we all do. We all do a lot of it. And and I, I you know, I, just as a quick 
story about it. I uh, I did a, my book launch at the Mysterious Bookstore in Manhattan with Zoom, and uh, I'd always done a big book launch when I, you know, when I do it, you'd get like 60, 70 people, and you think this is great. Uh, and we did it. We My publisher decided to try and do it on Zoom, and we got like 350 people online. Now it's a little different. You don't have the personal touch and all that, but you know it can be it can be it can be really effective. But beyond that, it's really the only way to do it now because you can't go into a bookstore really, or it's very hard to go and shake somebody's hand or you know hand them the book or whatever. So uh, yeah, I mean I, I know myself and I'm and I'm sure probably all the others too uh, do a lot of Zoom. Well, you know I tr- I try not to do it, but I did something with with Dick. And, and others that really work because I think people are sick of you promoting your book on Zoom. What are you going to do? Yeah. Read on Zoom? Yeah. But what I did was, and I, and I did plugs at all, is I had during the summer, I had five conversations with, and I put together people that I know. Dick, Dick was on one that, uh, you did the journalism one, right? Right. The, yeah. right. Well, and Matt, you, I think it was uh, Matt, was it Peter Plowner or Pat McGoldman, one of those? Yeah. 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 And, and so I took the, and most of the people on it were, were crime writers like me, not always, but I did one on comedy because um, Matt Gold and um, Tom Straw both wrote right, right. sitcoms. But so I, so I, I found that people really liked that because they were being entertained and it wasn't about the book. But the only Zoom I do regularly is every Monday night, I Zoom with four other crime writers Reed, Farrell Coleman, Matt Goldman. Uh, Tom Straw and Mike Wiley, and that's fun. It's it's saved. Reed says it saved his life. You know, talk about everything. But that's I, I don't I don't do uh, very maybe you know I don't like to do the zoo things because I think people are just overloaded with it. Yeah, I can't I can't stand listening. I you know I turn on the news in the morning, and if the, the minute that horrible picture goes up with the red and the red, I turn it off. I can't look at it anymore. I lost. Yeah. Uh, my doctor's wife died in October. My hairdresser has it. The girl that I, I got tested 12 times for COVID because I came in, I, I don't go anywhere. I haven't seen my family in a year and a half. But you go to the beauty parlor, they get it. You walk into a store, oh, by the way, the doctor's office, they didn't tell anybody. I went to ask if my glasses were ready, and they said, by the way, somebody has COVID. And what, what do you know? It was the doctor's wife that was talking to me for an hour and a half and commiserating. And I was very lucky. And then on um, Sunday, Jeff, my husband, had a, was in the hospital overnight, and they said we had to go get a COVID test if he had to go see the heart doctor. That was another mistake. Don't go for a COVID test. You don't want to do that. It's too painful. So before we go, what's next for everybody, and when am I getting it, and is anybody coming out with anybody, anything soon that I don't have on my schedule for an interview? Because February, January, February, and March are taken. We're open for April, May, and June. I'm serious. I think you so have me down for uh, Paradox Lake in May. Yes, I do. May something, 18th, and I have uh, Dick down for May 4th or for one of the and, May 4th. Yeah, and, and I just realized, I think, listening to Vince, uh, I believe uh, you and I are coming out the same month with the same publisher. You're with Ocean View, right? Yes, I am. That's right. But, so I, I think, and they only. They only put out, I think, a couple of books a month, so it'll be yours and mine. So that'll be that'll be a great month for them. <laughs> but, well, this is a dual promotion. There, there you go. But um, yeah, so beyond the headlines, which is the fourth Claire Carlson will be out in May, and then in. Uh, 
probably the month after that, uh, Fran, and you'll be on the list for this, will be another of the Dana Perry books. I read a series of thrillers under a different name, Dana Perry, and uh, that book will be coming out uh, in uh, probably in June. You have to just tell me when, because I am totally honored that in June 29th, Tess Gellinson and Gary Brava are going to do their interview, their very first one, with their new book, Choose Me, and she chose me to do it. I'm really excited. Um, I should say on January 20th, this was really a shock, James Grapando is coming on for his new book, 20. I was like, I am so excited. And on February 4th, Iris and Roy Johansson are coming on with Blink of an Eye. But this is really uh, an honor. February 24th, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child are coming on with The Scorpion's Tale. So Uh, it's nice to be so far, so good. You just don't know. Anyway, so where can we find out about everybody? And everyone, um, it's up to you if you want to listen. At 11 o'clock, uh, Carly Tappan is a new rising singing star. And her new song came out on Friday. It's called Eat Your Heart Out about a relationship that she went through that went bad and it better not change because going backwards is not, a, is not an option going forward. And I'm going to play it. And I hope she remembers to call in because I just emailed her that she better call in, like, right away. Otherwise, I can't do it. So where can we find out about everybody? The song is really good. I would not play it on my station if it was anything. It does not have any bad words in it, and it's really cool. It's called Eat Your Heart Out, and it's everywhere on iTunes, YouTube, and everywhere. So where can we find out about everybody? And just make sure I get whatever you're writing, because Ocean View, I have a whole bunch of books from Ocean View that are coming out in October, September, and November. They sent them already. So those are my, when I get around to a pile. So where can we find out about everybody? All right, well, I'll just go first quick, www.vinzandri.com, V-I-N-Z-A-N-D-R-I.com. And I have a new website coming very soon. This is good. And where can we find out about you, Charles? And when am I getting your next book, and when is it going to be done so I can put you in my schedule? Yeah, we'll, we'll speak to Chip about that. He's, he's circulating <laughs> on it. I'm working on this other one called Man on the Run. And um, you can find it. it actually, it's, it's, a new, it's a new revamped website that's a lot of fun, charlessalsberg.com, because it has a, a lot of interactive stuff, plus some videos that we made a while ago about Henry Swan. So, oh, that's um, cool. And things that move and all that, and uh, uh, awesome. did it really cool. That sounds really way, cool. I'm honored to be in a, a, on a discussion with um, three other writers I admire, and in this discussion, Naylor, Hemingway, and Foster came up. And what what, what yes. would that be in, in you know a discussion? That, that is so cool. Ah, oh, she's here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her come on. and I'm, um, John, where can we find out about you? Well, you can go to my website. I don't do nearly as good a job of keeping up <clears throat> as everybody else does. <clears throat> but I always tell people, um, Google the most recent book title. Read what people are saying about it. If you go to mm-hmm. the sites that I send you to, you're only going to hear what I want you to hear. So... Um, <laughs> You know, go to you know, j- just go to Amazon, read the reader v- reviews, make your decision that way. Um, you know, um, you could also go to um, yeah, that's the best way to do it. 
Do I leave and anybody I'm, uh, out, I'm at, uh, I, Yeah, I'm at, uh, real quickly, I'm at www.rgbelsky.com, and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm also pretty active on Facebook and Twitter and places. And uh, as John said, you know, like uh, Google me or go on Amazon and see what other people are saying. There well, you I'm go. to introduce, Charles, did I forget, did, where can we find out about you? Did I already uh, do that one? Yeah, I did it, but also just Google, and I don't even see what other people are saying about me, but you you can if you want. If they say anything bad, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I would like to introduce you to someone, so if you could just say hi. Her name is Carly, and she's coming on right now. Carly, welcome to MJ Network, MJ after your grandmother, Marsha Joyce. This is Vincent Zandri, John Land, Charles Salzberg, and Belsky, very famous authors. And Charles, Carly's song came out on Friday, and she's excited. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello. Hi, Carly. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks, Fran. Thanks again for this. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Fran. Bye, everybody. All right. Have a great day, people. Um, Before I forget, I'm not going to do this twice. Um, what happened to Carly just now? Carly, you're there, right? I'm here. Tell, Carly, here tell me, everyone yeah. about yourself and why you decided to go into music. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm Carly Tappan. I'm 19 okay. years old. From... Hi, how are you? Um, I really turned to music after I was out of a really rocky relationship, and music honestly saved me. Um, it was really hard for me. And now I've been doing a lot with music back and forth from Nashville. And I just came out with my first single, Eat Your Heart Out. So I'll be in the studio a lot more often now and really releasing more music. Um, And, yeah. Well, um, you know, one thing about relationships, Carly, is that when you're done, they're done. Seriously. Right. And and you don't go backwards. Your grandmother would say that. My mother would say, move it forward. And if yeah. anybody else wants to ask something or interject, go right ahead. So tell us about Eat Your Heart Out and how you came to write it, because I love it. I listen to it all the time, and I've got to boot it up <laughs> on my phone over here, too, to play it after. <laughs> well, Eat Your Heart Out, I was writing in my – I have a notebook, and I was writing in my notebook. And when I had went to Nashville, me and my producer were sitting down, and we were, you know, just talking, and I was reading my notebook and everything – and we were just pulling out a bunch of different things, and it's a very diverse song because it's not a song that, you know, a lot of girls would really write about, but I figured to write it and, you know, be different and stand out. Um, It's really meant for girls and even guys to know that, you know, they're not alone, and it's, it's okay not to be okay, but you will get up and be okay. And I also have my music video coming out for it within the next couple of days. So I'm really excited about that to share that with everyone as well. Is that Car- the video Carly? How do, we, how do we how do we how do we find the song, Carly? If we wanted to to check it out, where would we look for it? Yeah, of course. Um, I have it on my Instagram, which is Carly. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Well, my Instagram account is where all like the behind the scenes of is, which is Carly M Tappen, and then okay. my music is on all platforms. So you can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, mm-hmm. YouTube. Pandora, iTunes, it's on all platforms. And then my music okay. video will be released on YouTube as well. Okay. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to get her as many interviews and as many shows as possible so that we could really yeah, get her out excited. there. You should be super excited. So I hope this is this is going to play right now. 
I hope this works. Here we go. Eat your heart out. That was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely the best. I am so proud of you. Really. Is this Dick on the Dick, is that you? Uh, I'm still here, yeah. What do you think? Um, Carly, this is Dick Belfi. He's one of my he's 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 an extremely famous author. And he's great. How are you? Hi, hi. I'm just I'm just impressed, you know. I, I you know, I, I come on Fran's program and then I you know, I find out something completely new and different and exciting. That's cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. He's she's really great. So Carly, what did your friends have to say about this and how many people are following you? Do you know? Following me on social media wise? 
Yeah, in general. How, how is the song doing at this point? Well, the song's doing really good right now. I have these, like, two apps that show me how many views I've been getting. Um, right now I'm ha- I have up to 400 streams on Spotify and 700 streams on Apple Music. And I'm getting close to about 800 views on YouTube. So all of that together is a good amount. I just need to keep promoting the song, like, a lot. And I'll get some more views. But as of now, it's really good. And my friends are all super excited about it. They're posting it and really promoting it for me as well. So I'm really excited. I, I, can, ima- I can imagine. And I'm sure yeah. that um, there's a lot of people, including myself and Aunt Jamie and Aunt Tammy, and everybody that is so proud of you. Um, yeah, so family also, what about, definitely. What about this video? Is it the one that I have, or is it gonna, or are they going to change it? The one that's on no, Facebook one, all the time, is that the same thing? Yeah. No, yeah, it's the one that's on Facebook, but they're changing the the background. Like, they're changing the music, because I went back to the studio and re-recorded it and changed a couple things, so they have to change the sound. But to the same no, music that, video. And who are the people that are in the video with you? Who are those girls? Just just extras? Or are they friends of yours? Those are those are friends of mine. The music video was supposed to be done a lot different, and I had to work around with what I got. So my two friends had to be in it instead of dan- instead of dancers. But it came out still really well for them. I know. It's like it's like, this is this is so exciting. I'm gonna tell you something. Um, MJ Network, everybody, is in memory of my sister, Carla's grandmother, Marsha Joyce. And my yeah. sister always wanted to do what you're doing. Seriously. Mm-hmm. This, this, was, this was her goal, and she got waylaid. So I, I can feel the sun shining, and she's going to really be excited. So mm-hmm. what about the other song? Are they going to do the other one, or are you going to do something different next? What's next? I'm what not sure tell if that song yeah, I'm not sure if that song's going to be released or not. Um, I'm waiting to I hope figure it that is. all out. Yeah, but if it is, I'll probably be in the studio and re-record that as well to make it a little better, like, in my preference. But if it does, it's also a really good song. So, so tell I'll us before we go, who, who, are the, who are the people that picked you up? Who is promoting you? Who is this company that's, that's working with you? And just what are they doing? And I hope they're wonderful. So I... A couple months ago, or actually about a year ago, I did this thing called Vocal Star, and I mm-hmm. had to fly out to L.A., and I got 11 callbacks out of 17, and I got to basically pick and choose who I wanted to work with, and I had to most likely pick one person. So I went with... Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I went with Circle 11, which is Jeff and Cody that I'm working with, and basically, mm-hmm. it's been amazing. It's a really good team. It's more like a family with them. It's not, it's very comfortable. It doesn't seem as, you know, like I have to be someone I'm not. So I love working with them. And and basically, like, that, that is, how that it is, 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 the what? How did you feel when you got the award, though? Oh, that was awesome. That was an incredible feeling. I got the award for what was it? Most most impressed, most impressive, something along those lines. I'm not I don't remember the exact one, but it was really cool. Like it just felt very natural and you know, like you didn't have to try and once I decided that I wanted to work with them, I just 
buckled down and I focused on it, and that's how that ended up happening. And I flew to Nashville, and I worked with them, and it was awesome. It, it feels like family. That That is great. Well, you know, it's a stage presence, and you definitely have it. I mean, you yeah. can get up there and do anything, and <laughs> you're not you. afraid. Which which is fantastic. So before we end, what what else is what else do you have in store for you? What are they going to do now that you've decided to stay where you are? I'm so glad. Um, is is the person that you live with, is Ashley coming out with something too besides you? Or are you going to ever yes, do something Ashley, together with someone? Ashley is also coming out with a song called Eleven Eleven. She's dropping that song on January first, which is about oh, nice. her grandma that passed away. Um, and for me, music-wise, yes, I'm going to get back in the studio and really focus on more music, but I have been writing a lot, so I do have some, a couple things that I want to get working on and release more music, definitely. That is, that is fantastic, yeah. I wrote something, um, because I wanted everybody to know that my sister is proud, so I'm going to read the poem before we go, if that's okay with everybody. Of and course. Call Grandma, Grandma, can you hear me? I sort of heard her voice when I wrote this. And it took me like 10 minutes to write this. And it says, I'm not a poet, people, so what can I say? Grandma, can you hear me? I'm going to make you proud. Grandma, can you hear me? I'm hoping to stand out above the crowd. Grandma, can you believe it? My song, Eat Your Heart Out, is taking center stage. I'm hoping on January 1st it will become the number one rage. Grandma, just realized what is true, my driver musical talent I get from you. I hope this will inspire others in relationships to know that when something doesn't, i got to find the place on here. Come on, phone. <laughs> that when, here, here, that's how, the, uh, I try my best to honor your memory. So true, Grandma. This is from today and forevermore. The world holds many things for me, and I hope they hold goodness in store. Grandma, hear me say these words come true. From now on and always, I will always love and miss you. Grandma, I, I wanted you that. to be part of my journey now and forever. And I know my sister was, is beaming, but I think there's somebody on the line, and I'm going to put her on the spot, that might want to just say something. I can't believe that everybody else didn't do them. So, hold on. Okay, Tammy, this is your turn. This is live on MJ Network, what would you like to say to your daughter before we go? Seriously. Are you there, I Tammy? just want to, yeah, I'm here. I just want to say I'm very proud of Carly, and this has been an amazing experience for not only Carly, but our whole family, and she is a superstar in my eyes. I'm her number one fan, other, just like Ann Franny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're very proud of Carly. Yes, we're very, very proud of Carly, and her friends have been just amazing and great supporters her Circle 11 Entertainment um, and Cody Longo and Jeff, they've been just mm-hmm. amazing. Like, Carly has flown to Nashville. She actually stayed in Jeff's beautiful house, and they just treat her like their own kid. So he has five girls, and she, like, fits in with them and looks like his kids. It's funny. But um, they really, when she says they treat her like family, they truly do. And, um Carly's going to go really far. She's very talented, and not because she's my daughter, but I just I just feel it. She's just um, an I, inspiration to everyone, and I can't I, wait for more of her music to come out. I agree with you. Now, before, how I end every single show, everybody listen very carefully. 
Just one small ask. Don't go outside without wearing a mask. Social distance, stay safe. Carly, I am so proud of you. Everybody, Thank you, it's a beautiful Franny. day. Thank you, Dick. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you we everybody. love you and miss you, Aunt Franny. I love you the best. And send Jason a hug. Thank you. Everybody have we a great will. day. And bye. Thank you. Thank bye. you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. bye. Nice to meet you. <laughs>